words on water. This episode is sponsored by CDM Smith, a privately owned engineering and construction firm providing legendary client service and smart solutions in water, environment, transportation, energy, and facilities. CDM Smith employees are passionate about their work and invested in each other, inspired to think, and driven to solve the world's environmental and infrastructure challenges. Learn more at cdmsmith.com. Welcome to Words on Water, a podcast from the Water Environment Federation. This is the host, Travis Loop, joined for this episode by Jane Madden, Senior Vice President and Global Practice Leader for Water Reclamation for CDM Smith. Jane, thank you for coming on the podcast. Happy to be here, Travis. Thank you. I uh, We talked beforehand, and I'm really excited to get a lot of perspective from you on uh, PFAS, one of the hottest topics, and also on biosolids, a very hot topic as well, and the intersection of the two. Um, before we kind of dive into some details a little bit, uh, and maybe the technical side of things, uh, what's something that that you always remind yourself about with PFAS and you remind your, you know, think that your water colleagues and and the public should keep in mind about PFAS. Sure. Well, you know, I'm sure my colleagues know this, but I think it's really important for the public to understand that PFAS is ubiquitous in the environment. You know, you can find it in the dust in your household. It's in the carpeting. It's in the fabrics on your, your chairs and couches, you know, it's in waterproof jackets, it's on nonstick pans, it's in your dental floss, you know, it's it's in all the fast food packaging. And I was at one presentation at one point in time and we put up a, you know, microwave popcorn bag and somebody said, no, not my popcorn, <laughs> but <laughs> it's everywhere. And you're in contact with these compounds every day. Mm. Um, you know, and wastewater treatment plants, water resource recovery facilities, we're receivers of these compounds. We're not generators of these compounds. Well, I, like you said, I think that that's something that most, uh, you know, of your water colleagues know. Uh, maybe the point here is that we really, as a sector, uh, as utilities, as companies need to be talking about that to the public a lot more or to the media when they ask us about a a PFAS situation in the water or whatever it might be. Um, It's it's such a critical point uh, that if this problem is going to be dealt with in some way, we have to go after it at the source, right? And so that's those consumer products, the household goods, industrial discharges, big time contaminated sites. So, uh, but in the meantime, it is coming down uh, through collection systems and and uh, through pipes and ending up at water resource recovery facilities. Uh, so much work underway to uh, treat for PFAS. What's going on on that scene, and what are some proposed solutions or or ways to manage PFAS? Yeah, well, as you mentioned, you know, source control is certainly the first step. Mm. Um, 
you know, the treatment that we've seen to date has primarily been on the drinking water side. You know, we haven't really seen treatment on the wastewater side yet. And so, but, you know, it's coming. Um, we've seen states like Massachusetts, Colorado, Michigan, California, starting to put PFAS monitoring requirements for influent, effluent, and biosolids in their MPDS permits. So, um, you know, as utilities, we need to understand where the PFAS is coming from in your system and, and go out and perhaps test the industries that are in your industrial pretreatment program to see if they have um, or are contributing PFAS to you. Um, I've seen some, some utilities do this with great success, actually. They've, they've, they've found a, a large source of PFAS entering their system from an industry. They talked to the industry and the industry was able to actually substitute a compound that they were using with another compound that, that did not contain PFAS. So that was a you know, success story. Um, but certainly source control is the first thing. And then we need to understand, um, you know, if it is in your plant, what do you do? Um, you know, oftentimes treatment plants take in leachate, you know, you need to test your leachate, um, your septage um, as well. But we like to focus on, you know, separate, concentrate, and destroy as our mantra for PFAS. Um, so if you can find, you know, the smallest source and, and separate and concentrate and destroy there, it's much more economical than waiting for it to come to your plant. Um, if it is in your plant, we've done some interesting work with our WERF project 5031 that was looking at the occurrence of and fate and transport of PFAS through wastewater treatment plants. And um, one of the things that we're looking at there is sort of a mass balance of the fluorine across the plant. And, and when, one of our theories is potentially this PFAS is concentrating in the scum at a wastewater treatment plant um, because of its hydrophobic slash hydrophilic nature. Um, it tends to be more of a surfactant. And so in your aeration basins, you could actually be separating the PFAS into that scum layer. So if you manage that scum layer potentially a little differently and not put it in your, your biosolids for ultimate disposal, perhaps that's where we can concentrate and, and destroy a smaller volume than managing it in your biosolids. What's that, uh, those three words again, your, your approach? The mantra was separate, concentrate, and destroy. All right. All right. Good directions there. Uh, as I mentioned, one of the issues out there is uh, the intersection of PFAS and biosolids. Uh, it's kind of really coming under closer scrutiny every day. Um, what do we know about PFAS and biosolids? Um, what we found in our testing to date through, through not only WERF 5031, but also through work that CASA has done in California collecting samples. Um, again, PFAS is ubiquitous in biosolids. Everywhere we test for it, um, we typically find it. Um, in concentrations, um, you know, PFOA, we're, we're seeing in the range of one to 240 nanograms per gram. And uh, PFOS in the less than 10 to maybe 1100 nanograms per gram. So it's there. Um, but 
the issue is, you know, what happens to those um, compounds in the biosolids, especially if they're land applied. Mm. Um, in our WERF uh, 5042 project, uh, we looked into this with sort of a, a bench scale, if you will, um, study of seven um, biosolids that are land applied in in mesocolumns that we built and then let the natural rainfall, um, you know, permeate through uh, these mesocolumns. We collected the leachate and tested that. And what we did find is, you know, that that PFAS was um, traveling through the columns and and um, coming out in the leachate. The question is, you know, at those low concentrations, is this harmful to the environment? Is it harmful um, or can it be detected in the groundwater? Uh, can it be uptaken by the plants? We don't know those answers yet. Um, the other thing that we did see was some transformation of, of precursors in the biosolids to PFAS. Um, so that was an interesting uh, outcome of that study. Mm. Um, I really want to hear your take on what some of the policy response has been on PFAS and biosolids. Uh, it's, you know, happening at the state level in a lot of sure. ways. Um, and there's a mixed bag as you would expect. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people might be familiar with what's happening in Maine uh, right. and, and decision to kind of stop land application. Um, what, what's the impact uh, of that type of decision? Uh, the impact is huge. Um, you know, I'm here based in, in Massachusetts, so these main regulations um, directly impact a lot of the utilities in the New England area. Um, I think what's important about this legislation is that it basically says, you know, you're banning the use of biosolids that contain PFAS in land application unless it can be shown that the biosolids are PFAS-free. And so my question is, what does PFAS-free really mean? You know, first of all, there's not a standard method yet approved for, for sampling PFAS in biosolids. Um, second, are we talking zero parts per trillion? You know, what's the detection limit? Um, so PFAS-free is, is um, you know, a really kind of crazy um, limitation as far as I'm concerned. There is an exemption in the um, main regulations for biosolids generated from food waste. But I would contend that if tested, these biosolids would also not be PFAS free. Mm. Um, you know, and we have so, you know, our, our um, outlets for biosolids, especially in the New England area, are really shrinking. You know, the landfills are at capacity. Um, incinerators are being shut down. And now if land application is also um, banned, I, you know, I don't know where our biosolids will go. Mm. Yeah, uh, it's definitely a problem. And I, I think that there's some other states that might be taking a more productive approach. I, I've heard state of Michigan, uh, what's happening there is something that's a little bit preferable. Um, I don't have too much information on that. Do you, do you, do you know what's going on in Michigan? Um, I'm not as familiar with the, the Michigan uh, regulations right now, um, but I do believe that they are, as you mentioned, um, a little bit more lenient uh, and, and developing a, uh, 
concentration at mm. least yeah that um and i don't know what that concentration is that that can be land applied sure well one of the things that's come up throughout our conversation here uh is research and what the science says and that's what uh our sector has always followed and will follow is what what's the science tell us about pfas about biosolids about managing treating etc what are some of the the key gaps out there uh, i think you've actually touched on a few throughout the conversation but what are some of the key gaps in research that you know we we need to fill yeah certainly well you know the study of pfas is an evolving science you know mm. Heck, we don't even know how many compounds fall under the PFAS umbrella, you know, 4,000, 7,000, 9,000. It seems to increase every time you turn around. Um, And, uh, you know, some of the testing methods that we're using right now only account for, you know, less than 50 of these compounds. But right now, you know, in terms of gaps in the research, you know, certainly I think a lot of people are doing work in this arena, but the destruction technologies, you know, we need to get these compounds that exist out of the environment. Because right now it just seems like we're shifting from, um, you know, metrics to metrics sort of thing. (laughs) Um, You know, but the process right now that we've developed or that have been developed, you know, are very energy intensive. And so, you know, finding a destruction technology um, that is not so energy intensive would be key. Um, Certainly the second one would be, you know, the fate and transport of PFAS in the land application of biosolids. You know, the study that I referenced was a very small study. We only, you know, seven utilities, um, you know, in a bench scale type testing, but, but looking at, you know, fields that have had land applied biosolids for a number of years and, and testing, you know, the groundwater, understanding the precursor transformation, understanding the leachability, you know, because it depends on the soil types even. And, um, and then also understanding plant uptake, you know, is, is it being taken up in the plants that are then being consumed um, by whatever, you know, animals, yeah. um, plants that we eat, et cetera. Wow. And then the last thing I think would be um, the exposure and the health of impacts of PFAS in varying concentrations, you know, and again, this is a time when perhaps the education of the public can be really important. A lot of folks have watched that movie, Dark Waters, you know, which, which, you know, puts the the scary element in there. Um, But what people have to understand is that that movie, they were talking about concentrations that were in the hundreds of thousands of parts per trillion, you know, and EPA's health advisory level is at 70 parts per trillion. So that's four orders of magnitude less than what was, you know, seen in that specific case. So, so understanding, you know, is 70 the right number? Is it a little lower? Could it, could it be higher? You know, that's, that's where I'd like to see a little bit more research. Fantastic. I, I know there's a lot of research happening out there since PFAS has really risen to the front in the past several years. Uh, a lot of universities, associations, organizations are driving down on the research. So that will be good. Um, well, Jane, really, uh, like I said in the beginning, I was excited to get your perspective and information from you. Um, great Great info, great perspective, as expected. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you so very much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Travis. I enjoyed being here. Words on water.